0: You may all be seated. Thank you, from Michael, for praying. You know, you've heard Ron say, and pardon me if I wander, because I tend to do that when I'm talking. And I'll have to make my way back here so I don't lose my place. But when Ron talks about preparing a lesson or or a sermon, you tend to experience what you plan on preaching about that particular week. And one of the things that I will talk about in this study of fellowship and the word koinonia is that what the world tries to simulate and what Satan tries to do to us to keep us from this very thing that is so crucial is you want to talk about it, you're going to be tested in it. And this was an incredibly busy week. We had so much going on at our house in our lives, and trying to work this in, and I have to say it that way because that's what it felt like, it was a basically a exercise in perseverance. And then as I'm getting through most of this, I get late in the week a text from Daphne, hey, hey, we need your answer to the questions for the kids and put a video together. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to do that too. And I hate filming myself, and I certainly don't like watching myself back on camera and The way I hear myself right now is not the way you hear me. I hear my voice. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's how I sound. Um, So pardon me if I am out of practice. It's been a really long time since I've gotten the blessing to preach. Um, But once you get into it, it comes back to you. So today we are going to talk about fellowship, Christian fellowship. And we're going to do that using the term koinonia, an old Greek word, uh, to understand that why this fellowship that we have together And with god in all areas of our lives is so critical to the body of christ um, and to this congregation that's here today and even those that aren't here today the word koinonia and i'm going to try to keep it real basic i'm not going to go as deep as ron or bill does i'm going to not do that Um, koinonia signifies a share in something or a share with someone in something but it can also be a participation and that's going to be a big word throughout this sermon. Um, a participation in or with someone in something. You know, what we ultimately share with each other is our union with Christ. And Ron has preached on the union with Christ many, many times, so I know you know what that means. Um, it's what binds us to him and to each other. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, and It says, the cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, keep that word in mind, in the body of Christ? So, what does this mean? You know, we have this sharing. It talks about we're sharing in a blessing, and we're sharing and we're participating in this. So, let's start practically and then see how deep we get with the time that we have the verse says we share in the blessings of Christ. We obviously know that being a Christian is a blessing despite what the world thinks. You know, we have things that they don't. We have a hope, we have security, and we have a love that is like none other because we are Christians. And we have all of that by participating in the body of Christ. We worship together, we just sang songs, there's teaching, there's learning. We learn about what it means to be a Christian. We serve. There's no better way to understand what being a Christian is than by serving. We celebrate communion together. That brings us together. And we help others. All ways that we participate in this fellowship with Christ. Let's talk about Cresmont. Most of you will know all of these things, but we meet every Sunday. We sing worship songs. We hear a gospel-centered sermon that is meant to deepen our connection with God and therefore with each other as we learn the same things. Here at Crestmont, we have Sunday school before service. We have it for kids, for our youth, for adults, all the way up through senior adults. We have Sunday school, which is, unlike this, a less formal gathering, Um, We get to share our lives in Sunday school of what went on in that past week. We get to pray for each other, which we don't necessarily get to do in here. Um, We encourage each other. We serve each other. And then we get to study the word together, which is much different than listening to a sermon. Where you study the word and you interact with with your teacher, with each other. You share your thoughts and what God is speaking to you. Um, We also have Bible study here on Wednesday nights, during the school year, basically. We take the summers off. But we have that for kids and youth and adults. And even better, we get to share a meal on Wednesday nights before, which is a way of participating in this koinonia. Some of you who've been here a while remember we used to do Sunday night studies as well. We came every Sunday night, and Ron would do a book study or Uh, a particular topic that he wanted to cover, and we would meet up in where Kingdom Life meets now every Sunday, and it was a relatively big gathering almost every Sunday night. And how about this one? I'm sure as far as fellowship goes, we love having a meal together. Post-Sunday service, getting to meet in the gym in what we call the fellowship hall, we break bread together, and all of these things, all of them are fantastic. They give us an opportunity to do our lives together, um, and they bring us joy. They really are supposed to bring us joy. However, as you think about all those things, that's really not the case anymore, sometimes here and in churches across the globe. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, said it's a verse you all know that says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that verse is used a lot today, trying to get people to come to church and meet together. However, who is that written to? That was written to first century Christians, the brand new church. We're already finding reasons to not go and that they had other things to do and they didn't have half the distractions that we have today in our our culture. So answer this question in your heart, to yourself, all the things we just talked about, where do you put those things in priority in your lives? Coming to church, Sunday school, meeting together, all those things, where do they lie in your life? Do they feel like a blessing? Do they feel like a burden sometimes? Do they feel like a duty that's something you have to do? Or it could be one, two, or all of them at the same time. I know I have felt that way. Anyone with young kids knows that getting to church is a burden many Sundays. Um, So if it is a burden, what ends up happening is when you go through that burden and you get here, you end up being blessed. And it's very rare that you, at least I know, and I'll use my example, is there's only one day a week I don't set an alarm to get up, and that's Saturday morning. Guess when the men of this church like to meet? <laughs> First thing Saturday morning. So you have it there. But I, you know, but as we as the body, and I don't just mean Crestmont, but we as the body of believers across the globe, have we lost our joy and our desire and love for being with each other? Because that's the question. I don't think so, but I do think that Satan does all he can to lure us away and keep us busy with other things that we either need need to do or like to do so that we don't feel like we have time to go to church. And how about this one? And this goes to the parents and just about anybody else who's alive. <laughs> Are you so exhausted by the things you have going on in your life during the week that gathering together is the first thing that goes because you're too wiped out to do it? When Satan succeeds in this very thing, he wins because our commitment to what God has called us to do, which is koinonia and living life together, takes a back seat to other things. He understands, Satan fully understands and is probably his greatest weapon is that separating you from time with God and his people makes you vulnerable. And you will see that, and studies have been done, that when you miss church, it becomes that much harder to come back. And if you miss multiple weeks, it exponentially is like, well, now I feel guilty and I don't feel connected and I'm just not gonna go. However, God makes it pretty clear that we're not supposed to put anything before him. Exodus 23, and you all know this one, You shall have no other gods before me and that doesn't mean you have an altar in your room it just means are you putting anything above him and we all do it often okay let's lighten this up a little bit i know this was a little heavy and it won't be that way through the rest of this but when you think about all this this does not mean and you know the term i was there every time the church doors were open growing up i was always at church This does not mean you need to be here every time the church doors are open. But I do think that we need to think about and prioritize staying connected with each other and doing life together. Because you're not always going to be here every Sunday, every Wednesday, or every time something's going on at church. It's just not always possible. Jobs, life, sickness, it's okay. It's more of where does it lie in what you desire to do Now meeting on Sundays obviously is critical because when we do that, we're proclaiming our commitment by being here and we talk to each other, we encourage each other and we're participating in the body of Christ. And think about this and I didn't give Michael this message but of course somehow the Spirit gave him the right song for the right time and it was the first one he sang and he said this as he got ready to worship that we are binding with everybody else who's doing that same thing right now. Um, and when we are doing that, we're not only binding, and you'll see, we're binding with God, here's a Ron motion, we're binding with God and we're binding with each other, the perfect cross. And it says in 1 John 1, three and four, that's that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, also to you, that you too may have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Sharing and participating through life, through prayer, through worship, serving, giving, that is what God's kingdom is all about. It's the way he designed it. That's our calling. Our calling is koinonia, it is sharing in the body of Christ. Another verse in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how the churches in Macedonia, very poor, they were hurting, and despite that poverty, they wanted to participate, there's that word again, participate, in giving to the saints in Jerusalem who were also hurting. And it says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of all the saints. Begging to be part. How often do we beg to be part of something? Not very often, because we are so busy. Adding one more thing to the plate. It's hard. But these people who were poor begged Paul. And I'm sure Paul's like, no, it's, it's okay, and we do that. No, you know, it, it's fine. Never rob someone of the blessing of serving or giving. All right, one more little heavy thing here. Paul talks about sharing in suffering that's a tough one because we don't like talking about suffering it's one of those questions that non-believers will hit you up with almost every time why does god allow suffering we don't like talking about it but philippians 3:10 says paul says that i may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that's tough but honestly guys you've all suffered in some way, form, or another. I mean, God willing, none of us will ever be martyred, burned at the stake, or fed to lions because we're Christians. But you've all suffered some kind of loss. We've lost loved ones, friends. We've gone through hardships. Um, And even loneliness is a suffering. I don't think there's much more worse suffering than being lonely. And they're all part of sharing with Christ because Christ did all of those things. He suffered all of those things. So we are also called to suffer with other believers. It may not be your suffering, but you're called to share in the sufferings of your people, your congregation, your friends. Um, And if you've already gone through that particular thing that someone's going through, you're able to have empathy, and you're able to talk them through what God did in your life during that time. And honestly, hearing that from someone else is incredibly valuable to that person's spirit. It can help them get through. Now you've overheard this saying, and it's been used a million times, that you know, God never promised a Christian an easy walk, but he did say that he would be with us through it, through the till the end. So koinonia is this sharing, this participation in blessing, which it is a blessing, in giving of finances, and giving of yourself, and even in suffering. What does that sound like? does that sound like a family? What you do, you've done in your family your entire life. You have the blessing of a family. There are sufferings in a family. And you give yourself and your finances and your time to your family. Well, your Christian family is supposed to work the same way. And this sharing is unique to Christianity. This koinonia doesn't exist anywhere outside of Christianity. It's fabricated, and they, people try, and there are things that, that happen in the world. And that koinonia is what gangs and fraternities and clubs and even cults are trying to do. They're searching for it. They just don't know what it really is. But they're always missing that vital element, which is Christ. And like I said, our connection to each other isn't just with each other here. It is with God and his Father. The father and the son and in that verse we read in first john it's like so that you two may have fellowship with us and our fellowship was with the father and it brought them joy because that's what this whole thing is supposed to be about it's not just about going to heaven it's about what we get to do here and have joy in it this koinonia is a and I haven't used this word yet mutual bond Um, haven't used that word but it ties in so closely with this idea of fellowship and koinonia and i have the definition gotta throw a definition into a sermon Uh, it is an adjective and it is a feeling or action experienced or done by each of two or more parties toward the other or others there's a sentence a partnership based on mutual respect and understanding mutual is something held in common by two or more parties and guys you've heard mutual used in a million different ways you have mutual funds where a bunch of people all put their money into one fund to make it bigger and it grows and you benefit from that you've got mutual of omaha i'm sure you remember those commercials from way back in the day Um, so we have a mutual bond in christ all of us share in that and it binds us together here in this room but also with every other christian alive today and not only every christian in the world today but every christian that ever has been and ever will be you have a bond with if you know Christ. That's astonishing. Now, in my study for this sermon, I listened to a message by John Piper, one of Ron's favorites, and he's such a passionate man. He almost sounds like he's almost ready to cry when he's preaching. Um, And I studied, and I'm just gonna paraphrase some of the things he said because it struck me. It says if our lo- if our calling is to love like christ loves us then we are to have a deep profound and eternal love for each other all christians not just the ones you like but all christians we should be looking around this room this is this is crazy and realizing that these are the people that you are going to spend eternity with forever me and you you and everybody else in this room every christian every person that you've ever met and know from another church from another time in your life forever with them now we've known people that used to go to this church they're somewhere else you're going to spend eternity with those people Um, so it really is when you think about that and let's be honest we don't necessarily always like everybody but we're actually supposed to love them why is that so important? Because that's how he designed his kingdom. And therefore, there is, in my, the title of my sermon, said there's no other way forward than this koinonia. It is it. It's how he designed it. We don't get to pick how this works. And there is, that way forward is a deep, profound, eternal love. Piper said, love, there is no love as a choice when it comes to koinonia. It's a joyful, affectionate love. And I'll be honest, that's hard because you don't joyfully, affectionately love everybody you come in contact with, but that's what it is. And the Bible abounds with words about relationships among believers. And it goes way beyond, and this is Piper's quote, I choose to love you, jerk. It's supposed to go beyond that, but however, that's many times the way we feel. But koinonia will work in our changed hearts, and that's only the spirit who's able to do that about how we feel about other believers. But if we don't feel that and we don't desire to go down that road of deep affectionate love for one another, then we have a major problem to deal with. This will all be evident and clear in the way we treat each other. You know, John says, they will know us by our love. The world also sees Christians right now by the, what we don't love. Sadly, that seems to be the only thing anyone really sees anymore is, what are Christians against? What do we, How are we not going along with culture? How are we not supporting everybody and everything? Those of you who are Disney fans and have watched The Incredibles, the whole saying, you know, when everybody's special, no one will be special. We are trying to take away what is special christianity can't sit on an island all alone and be the way because that's not right that's not fair so they will try to take that away from us but this love and affection for each other this koinonia and how we treat each other and how we serve will be the way we persevere until the end in philippians chapter 2 1-5 to five, it says So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing, nothing, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let us each look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in yours, which is yours in Jesus Christ. I think that kind of sums up everything that we have already talked about today. It's a lot. I mean, that's a, that is a whole lot of things that we are supposed to focus on, and Satan doesn't want you to. He's going to do everything in his power. To get you so self-involved with all the things you have going on that the last thing you're going to be concerned about is what's going on in someone else's life so what do we do with all this first realize and this is probably the most comforting thing is that we can't drum this up it's not going to happen overnight each one of us has to work it out with god what he's calling you to do in your life here in this church in your walk with him but i do know one thing is that he is calling each and every one of you to more than showing up here at 10:30 on sunday mornings leaving at noon and then coming back next sunday that is not koinonia that's more like a lesson it's more like going to school and he has so much more for us than that a practical start where we can go forward in all this, Ephesians 4.29 says, let no uncorrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In all situations, all. Sometimes, you know, it's really difficult to use imperatives that the all encompassing, but in all situations and with all believers, not just the ones you have affection for right now. Let nothing that tears down come out of your mouths. Sadly, our culture and somewhat our natures thrive on this. Things get torn down because it makes the person who's tearing down feel better about themselves if they get someone lower than them in their own minds. But it says only speak what is edifying and builds up whether you are speaking to that person, and here's another one, or about that person. If you're having a conversation with another believer about someone else, your words better only be to build that person who's not there up. Because tearing down literally does tear down the body. Our words need to be filled with grace upon grace upon grace. You know why? Because that's what we need. Lots and lots of grace. Because none of us are perfect. Now think about this. As hard as that is, I think even if we make any kind of effort to speak nothing but grace, wouldn't you wanna be around a group of people who speak like that, where all they talk is good and edifying? You wanna be around people like that. Being built up and feeling like you're in an environment of grace not only draws you in, but it'll draw other people in, because they will see it, because I promise, They are not getting it out there in the world. You're not getting it here most of the time. You know, I know it seems a little silly, but for years and years and years, I make it a point every single morning to post a scripture online. I have been doing it for years and years for no other reason than it should be out there. And hopefully, whatever I post, whoever's reading my wall will get something from it They'll get a piece of Jesus that day because the next thing that they see may be exactly the opposite. And I can't tell you whether it's Instagram or Facebook, how many people have f- followed my Instagram feed. I don't know them. And the only reason they're following me is because I'm posting scripture. And I'll look at their, um, their wall and it doesn't look like they know Jesus at all. So I'm taking that as the Holy Spirit working. And it's simple. Just sharing Jesus just in that little way. So, if we're filled with grace and that building up through words and actions to each other brings us all closer together, it also brings us closer to the Father, which is what this is really supposed to be about. We can be a bright light, whether that's here at Cressmont, and you know what? The things we do. Whether when you evangelize or you're telling people about Jesus, the goal is not to bring them to Crestmont. It'd be fantastic if they did and became part of our fellowship. But the goal is to add to the kingdom of God. And we want them to be drawn to us. The book of Hebrews gives us a stern warning that we all need to take seriously about our fellowship. Hebrews 13, 12 to 14 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is where Piper went in a whole other direction in that sermon, because he was talking about perseverance of the saints and how incredibly important it is And we continue to speak these words of exhortation to each other because life is hard. And knowing you are saved means you've made it to the end. You don't know for sure until you've made it to the end. And that's how we are are supposed to exhort one another to get us all to the end. And that job is not just the preacher's job. Yes, he is here to teach and train and exhort every one of you but it's all of our jobs because we have all come to share in Christ and we need to hold that confidence to the end and exhort others to do the same. You exhort, they'll exhort you back and it becomes a never ending cycle of joy actually. That's the calling of the Christian fellowship with each other. The world's gonna lead us away because we spend far more time, think about that guys, we're here a couple hours a week at most may show up here at nine for sunday school we leave around noon every day every sunday those of you come on wednesday you're adding another hour or two then there's a lot of other hours that you aren't spending in fellowship with each other and satan's going to use every ounce of that time to try to lure you away that's why we have to be here for each other encouraging each other in our walks there's a german theologian which I'm gonna butcher his name, Philip Melanchthon, I believe is how it's said, way back from like 1437, I believe, we're talking way back. And he said about our words, and this particular thing about how we speak and in our beliefs, he says in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. We don't have to be dogmatic about every single thing. That will turn a lot of people off. And it's sometimes the curse of a brand new Christian who's super excited. They get really dogmatic about everything. And people go, whoa, 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 hold on. The truth is there are things that you should be incredibly dogmatic about. And we're not gonna go into that. That's a whole nother sermon. But there are things that absolutely are part, that are absolutely necessary. But there's an awful lot of things, and Paul talked about it, You know, there's just some things, you know, if it's a conscience thing, if it's okay for you, okay. But if it's a sin for you, then you don't do it. But in all of it, dogmatic, not dogmatic, you need to be charitable. And that goes right back to the words and the exhortation. Make sure that you are full of grace and your speech is full of charity to anyone who's hearing it. Let me ask, how dangerous and slick is the devil? We don't even know, but very. He wants nothing more than to keep us from growing deeper in our relationship with God, with each other. He doesn't want this bond whatsoever. He is going to fight it every step of the way. He will throw every pleasure of the world at you, and he will try to keep you busy as bees if it means you're not connecting with God or your, His people. Listen to these warnings, there's a couple of scriptures in a row I have here that will show you how this is working and what we need to be on the lookout for. Second Corinthians six fourteen to 17 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You are God's people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Romans 16:17 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. We just talked about that. And create obstacles contrary to the doctrine which you have been taught. Avoid them. And last Ephesians 5:11: take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Do these not all point to exactly what all this has set up to now? We are to be magnets for each other. They're warnings that need to, we need to be on the watch out for our own walk as well as those around us in this mutual bond of fellowship. Don't let a member of our koinonia fall into fellowship with any of the things we just said in those verses. Don't stand for people who are causing division. There's a place where you could be dogmatic. Someone is speaking things that they shouldn't, call them out on it. Expose it and we should never turn a blind eye to anything coming out of the darkness. The darkness flees the light, and we're supposed to be the light. And we need to be a glorious, grace-filled light. Speaking the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Doing that binds us together, and our koinonia, grow stronger and more appealing to us, that's important. I know that sounds kind of funny because many times what we spend a lot of time is what our church isn't doing or what it doesn't have, um, how broke we may be. But we don't usually talk about the things that are appealing to us and to those that are watching us. God is glorified and his kingdom is proclaimed and it grows when we practice fellowship. So to sum this up, we are so blessed to be here at Crestmont. I know there are long-lasting and deep friendships here in this building, amongst many of you. None of us are perfect, we all fall short, but that's why we have each other. There is no place just like this. Many of you have been to other churches. Um, There's lots of similarities. But the truth is, only Crestmont is Crestmont. And that's because of the people. Not the building, not the name. It's the people who are here. So take some time now as we pray and ask God how he wants us to participate. How he wants you to participate in this koinonia. For some of you, it's going to be reaching out to a friend or a member you haven't seen in a while. I think something that we fall way fall short on. We just don't. The days of knocking on doors and picking up the phone on Sunday afternoons and calling people is a long-lost art that desperately needs to come back. Heck, even if it's a text. Text someone, hey, missed you today. You have no idea what that may do for them. Some may feel led now to get involved in a Bible study or, or Sunday school here. Coming on Wednesday nights in the fall when we start back up again. I think that's something that we all should consider. Some, some of you, and I hope more than just some of you, will feel led to uh, serve in some capacity. It could be in hospitality, teaching, caring, praying. How about this one? The high calling of serving and teaching kids. Because that's always needed in every single church. And you know why? because the next generation needs to see this koinonia at work or they'll have no idea how to do it. And they need to know that they're loved. I think our children's department does a fantastic job of showing our kids that they're loved. Maybe someone here is willing to lead a home group, not maybe as a teacher, opening your house to a couple of people a couple times a month, even once a month. just need a safe place. The church is always a safe place to gather, but so are homes, and that's where people are comfortable. Whether you believe it or not, God has so much more than sitting through a sermon once a week. We all need that sermon, and Ron does a fantastic job, and he brings the gospel every single week, usually longer, and I'm almost done, so... Uh, (laughs) I've heard many times over the years, and here, guys, this is the part that actually caused this entire sermon. I've been thinking about this for well over, for over a long time, but as far as the sermon's concerned, since Ron said he was going away and he would be gone for a few weeks, I said, this is what God wants me to preach on. Because I've heard many times over the years from people who are no longer here and people who are here right now, they say they don't feel connected. They don't feel connected. And, uh, That's tough. It's very hard to hear that. The leadership here at this church, that hurts. It's hard to hear that. And that's the greatest travesty when you look at our fellowship through the lens of what we talked about today. If there's someone who's here who doesn't feel connected, what are we doing wrong? And if that's how any of you are feeling, we need to talk about it. But it's also, families, as you all know, it's a two-way street. Things aren't just going to fall in your lap. There's effort involved. You have to go out of your comfort zone. And like I said, the world is going to beat you down. The second you walk out this door today, you could be thinking about how you want to do something. You will be distracted before you even get home. Because that's how we work. That's how Satan works. But you will get so much more out of being with God's people if we'll just gather together. That gathering is so important. And I don't have the answers. You know, I suggested a couple things, but I don't have the answer to what God is calling you to do. Um, But watching membership decline over the years weighs very heavily on Ron. I know it does. Seeing sometimes how really empty it is here on Sundays um, and how little we kind of really do gather together than maybe we did in the past. It's, it's, it's not something that fills anybody with joy and I do understand and everyone understands how busy we all are but I know God's not done he's not done our pastor will be back soon our prayers are with him for his rejuvenation I pray that God, has, the spirit has given him a vision of what he desires to do going forward he may be back next week or Tom will be preaching next week um, we don't know yet He was very, when Ron left, he wasn't sure he could actually be gone a full month. I know he's probably chomping at the bit to get back in the pulpit, and I'm glad for that. Um, We joked with him before he left saying, you're not going on any viewings of a call, are you? You're not interviewing during this time away. Because he did say he was going to other churches, but I think he was doing that just so he could actually sit and soak. Something that you all know he has not done in a very long time. And I've encouraged him, and I hope eventually, at some point, he will come and sit here when someone else is preaching. But I just want to encourage all of you, this body is special, and it's just a matter of stopping just for a small moment. You know, one of the things I, like I said, I had to do that video for the kids today, and some of it tied right in here that talked about how they wanted to know, the kids asked why is it hard for me to give to others? I went, oh man, that's, <laughs> that's a whole sermon in itself. But the truth is, we're selfish beings. We like our stuff. And like I said, I feel put out when I have to get up on the one day of the morning that I get to sleep in. And that's, that's human nature. But when I do get up and I do get to go, it's always a blessing. It's just a lie from Satan saying that, this is better, sleeping in is better. Going and participating in something you know that's gonna keep you away from church, that'll be better. It's okay, it's not. Being together with God's people is probably something that anyone from outside the church just won't understand. I, I'll finish up here before I pray. I was one, you know, I am one of the famous latchkey kids of the 70s and 80s. I literally was walking home from school by myself in second grade. Today, my mom would have been, had CPS at the door in no time. Um, I basically had to raise myself. And studying this and becoming a Christian at 32 years old made me realize what I was really searching for all those years. Whether it was high school and wanting to be part of the popular crowd, which I, I guess luckily, got to be a part of by the time I was a junior. I was in a fraternity in high school. Now that's kind of weird, most of you go, what? We had them, the Northeast is kind of full of them. Um, It's been around since like 1920 something. Not sanctioned by the school, but we had fraternities and I did it again in college. Joined another fraternity in college. And I think when you look around society in general, Why we have, you know, gangs are formed because there are mainly men who just don't feel connected to anything, and it gives them that, but it's missing something. Um, Just be thankful that you know God. The fact that you just even have that relationship is beyond astonishing. And I'm thankful that I'm here. I'm thankful that you guys have, for whatever reason, allowed me to get up here and talk to you this morning and that you've given me a position of of leadership in this church. It's, It's astonishing knowing what my life was like until I became a Christian. That he's forgiven me for the things I did, and they're gone. He doesn't see them. And I do my best to not see them either and just serve him. So i thank you for all of that so let's pray as the michael comes back up and we'll just have a time of reflection if you need me to pray for you i'll be up here i'd be happy to and just thank god for the koinonia that we do have and ask him hey lord how can i be a bigger part of that lord i thank you so much for this day i thank you for maintaining my voice to getting through the sermon I pray that this message is what you desire to me to say. Lord, that hearts will hear it, and just be thankful that we are in relationship with you and with each other. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that they will seek you out and and declare you as savior today. I thank you for each person in this room. I pray that you will develop a deep, affectionate love that can't be explained by anybody outside, Lord, that the world will see us burning as a bright light of of joy and love. Show us how we can show that to this community and to this world. Lord, you're worthy of all of our praise, and we just thank you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name.